The NBA draft is right around the corner. Let me tell you what's going on on this two-part episode. First up, we have a conversation about the trade rumors regarding the Thunder and the Pistons and the Cavs and the Raptors and even Colin Sexton with myself and Richard Stamen. Tomorrow on Thursday, we're going to have an entire mock draft going rounds one and two, a two-round mock draft for you. A lot to get to. Excited. We'll come back on Thursday night. Friday morning, talk about the draft and recap the draft as well as we enter into the weekend. A lot to get to, a lot of content coming out, but make sure you stay locked on to Locked On Thunder, your teams every day. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunderpod. Email the show at L-O Thunderpod at gmail.com. Call into the show, 405-362-7128. Make sure you go read thundersintentions.com as well. Today, we are a day away from the NBA draft, and I, of course, am joined by our NBA draft expert, Richard Stamen. Richard, this is your moment. This is the peak of draft season. We're going to get smoke screens. We're going to get rumors. We're going to get trades. We're going to get everything possible with the draft just 24 hours away. And how are you feeling? Are you feeling excited? Are you feeling nervous? What's going on right now? Are you feeling tired of just having to crank out all this draft content? What's going on? <laughs> hey, I can never be tired after the grueling process of the 2020 NBA draft cycle. So it's not nearly as bad as that. Um, I'm excited, but also a little bit anxious. You know, I'm ready for it to be over. I, I feel like at this point, every time I've watched anything over the last three weeks, I just feel like I, it's it's overwhelming. And so I'm very excited for the draft to actually happen. I think, you know, the mock is the most unpredictable I, I can barely even draw up a mock. That's why I keep doing these community mocks and uh, it's going to be unpredictable. Well, do not forget that this show is brought to you by the live NBA draft show. We're so excited about this from NBA draft goat, Chad Ford. He'll be there. Your co-host over at locked on NBA draft. Raphael Barlow will be there and locked on NBA host. John Corrales will be there all live for this year's coverage of the NBA draft. It's the locked on NBA draft 2021 brought to you by Bill Barr. Get local expert analysis with each and every pick. Follow the Lockdown NBA channel on YouTube today and watch our live coverage of the July 29th NBA draft starting at 7 p.m. Eastern, of course, 6 p.m. Central time. Very excited for that. First in-studio production for the network. That'll be a lot of fun. Go check out history over there on the Lockdown NBA YouTube page. So, Richard, let's talk about the recent rumors for the Thunder. And... You and I have been talking for a month now about how the Thunder could possibly move up in the draft and get Cade Cunningham or get a top pick, and, and it's been even longer than that. Well, there was a rumor, a report. Nobody's actually like saying, hey, this has factually happened because X, Y, and Z. They're saying, oh, I've heard it's happened before. Of the Thunder trading six in SGA to the Pistons for Cade Cunningham and the Pistons rejecting that offer. Uh, I feel like if you want to take that as factual, I feel like that's a, that's a rare lose-lose for each organization. I feel like there's reasons to that. But, but what would you do if you, were, if you were Detroit and you were offered Shea in pick six for the first overall pick? Yeah, I, I think actually that probably is the best offer you could get. You know, for how long did we talk about, oh, could they get the godfather offer? And they actually did throw it. I think um, I, I do think that it's a little bit much. I don't understand why Oklahoma City would do it, but six in shade is a lot more for Detroit, I think, on the timeline than than any other team in the top three, really. Um, maybe Cleveland, but they could get better very quickly, especially being in the East. I, I really like that for Detroit. I hate it for Oklahoma City, though. It just wouldn't make a lot of sense for the Thunder to do it. And I think that for Detroit, I mean, yes, they're in the East, but you get you get Shea, who's like a, this all-star caliber player and has top 15 potential. 
You've got to max him right away, which is no problem. You're going to max a guy like Shane, no matter where he's playing at. Uh, and you get, say, Kaminga or, or Book Knight. And what? You've got Jeremy Graham. Jeremy Grant, I should say. Jeremy Grant. Uh, Book Knight. Shea. Isaiah Stewart. Sadiq Bey. Uh, Dwayne Casey's your head coach. Uh, a playoff team? Or a playoff team in the East? And then that, that's kind of it? And you don't have the the bevy of draft picks the Thunder have to go make trades and, and improve that team. Uh, it just, to, to me, the Pistons would, would run into the same problem the Thunder have ran into, or you know, we assume they've ran into of, look, we only have Shea controllable for six more years. This year, a year in which we're not a title team, and then five years after that. Um, and Pistons, the, the Pistons don't have those draft picks the Thunder have to go trade for proven NBA stars. So it, it's just... We or other Pistons wouldn't also want to want to reset the clock as well and get a guy in Cade who you're going to be able to control for nine years as compared to six years. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think that for the Thunder too, it, it just doesn't make any sense at all uh, because at that point, Cade would have to be better in value than both Shea and Book Knight, and that's a lot of pressure put on somebody. Now, now if he turns into Luca, that'd be awesome. Uh, but I feel confident that Cade will be SGA's caliber of player. Uh, but it's a lot. It's a lot to ask for him to be better than Shea. Shea's a really good basketball player, so I, I I just don't know why either side would do it. But but specifically the Thunder, you're right. I, I just I do still worry about what the Pistons would look like if they did that move, uh, because maybe they just are striving for a consistent playoff run and they want to get back to being a consistent playoff team and don't really care about championship championships right now. But four championships, uh, I'm not sure that that's even the best pathway. Yeah, I mean, is Troy Weaver trying to win and go to the playoffs now? Like, even then, I don't think that core you named does anything in the first two years. Like, I don't think they're a playoff team in 2022, and they're not a playoff team in 2023. So I would be pretty shocked. I, I just think it's a one of those rare cases both say no. I Again, like, Detroit probably gets better sooner than Oklahoma City because of it. But it, it's just like, why? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think either team wants that deal. Is that kind of the only trade that you could see going down for the Thunder to get in the top overall pick? I mean, I know, uh, you know, from, from the Mavericks perspective, I mean, it felt that week leading up, at least to me, that, okay, the Mavs are going to be stuck with like Mo Bamba and this is not going to work out the way we want it to. And then boom, like a, I think it was like 30 minutes or an hour before draft time, uh, we found out that the Mavs were going to trade for Luka Doncic. And all of a sudden you had Luka in Dallas. So like, I, I know a lot can change between now and then, but uh, does it feel like it's it's not going to happen for the Thunder to trade up to the top of the draft? Because, I mean, it's either trading Shea, which we just kind of discussed, doesn't really make a lot of sense. There's no such offer for like a seven future first-round picks offer plus six to get it done. You don't think that that really does anything for the Pistons if you gave them seven future first and six? I don't know if Oklahoma City does that. I think if, if Detroit got seven first-round picks, they would probably take it, but I don't think Oklahoma City wants to do that for Cade. As, much as, as good as Cade is because he won't fail – it's just like the market would have to be so dry and you have to be, you would have to completely eliminate yourself um, from any future sweepstakes almost not eliminate, but like really reconsider where you stand and potentially be a cat, you know, guys who are expected to be asking out soon, things like that. So I, I don't know if I would do seven. It's quite the extreme, but I don't know if you're literal in that or not, but I think Detroit would heavily consider that though. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, with the Thunder, they have such so many draft picks that seven isn't quite the jarring number that it seems like. I mean, it's still, of course, a lot of picks. Whenever you have 40 picks and you have a ton of first-round picks and they kind of increase in value, hopefully, as the, as the days go by and you see how the Clippers do and how the how the uh, Rockets kind of rebuild their roster and things like that. Um, I, I think that, of course, seven's the mark that got James Harden. So at that point, you'd be trading away the capital it took to get James Harden maybe maybe your cutoff would probably be like closer to five or four picks uh, for the future than you know then having to trade seven uh, would would you still do it at four or five if you're the pistons or would, you, would that be your mark of saying no for the pistons yeah uh, i don't i i just i don't see why detroit would not want kate uh, no matter what i think it's a quality over quantity thing at this point it's like clearly the guy that you're wanting I, I just think Detroit's to say no to everything. It's one of the rare times where it's like, sure, you could get all the assets, but even at four or five, like, and don't get me wrong, like Jalen Suggs or someone would be great, but like he's not nearly the needle mover for the timeline that Kate Cunningham is. I want to tell you right now about a good friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a fantastic protein bar 
that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15, get 15% off of your next order. They have amazing flavors like coconut, cherry raspberry, cherry barcia, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate. My favorite flavor is cookies and cream. Try that out today right now. If you have not tried all the flavors yet, though, order a mixed box. The mixed box gives you two of each flavor. You try them all out and then reorder the flavor you love the most. It's a protein bar, but it tastes like a candy bar. Most flavors have 17 grams protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. It's amazing with flavor. It's all the tastiness with all the healthiness as well. Try it out today. BuiltBar.com. Make sure you order the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCK15, 15% off of your next order. They're great for pre-workout or post-workout or even as a meal replacement. They're that filling. They're that good. Make sure you try it out right now by going to BuiltBar.com and using promo code LOCK15, getting 15% off of your next order. So then moving off of Detroit, because I, I think that, you know, you said that they do seven. I think that the Thunder technically could offer seven and just like go crazy here and pair Shea with Kate Cunningham and live happily ever after. Um, but I I don't really see a fit with Houston moving anywhere. Cleveland is kind of interesting. They, there's the port there from Lockdown Cavs yesterday that uh, Cleveland wants a King's ransom. Would you, would you consider six, 16... Two future first, Baisley as a king's ransom and taking on the love contract. Who that's that's an overpay. I would I think I thought you were gonna stop at 16 and then say Baisley because I think six sixteen and Baisley might do it. Maybe a future first too. And, but, and taking on the love's con love contract. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say if you throw in the love contract, you don't take on a future first. Um or no, sorry, you don't throw in the future first, but if you do not take that on and you might have to throw in the future first. Like, so depending on how it goes, that, that first round pick swings. And so it's an overpay. Would you, would you consider it an overpay because of, you know, because of Mobley? Like you don't think that Mobley is going to be that like, well, how do you feel about Evan Mobley in, in the sense of doing what you have to do to get him? It seems like the thunder are very much enamored with him. There's been a lot of talk surrounding them recently about how much they love Evan Mobley. Whenever they, whenever they talk about the thunder trading up all, all the, Woj and Lowe and all them, they, they talk about how it's for Evan Mobley or Cade Cunningham. And then recently we heard about Jalen Green, but those two have been the, the most prevalent uh, players that are, of course, rumored for the Thunder being enamored with to try to trade up for him. Uh, so if you can get Mobley paired with Shea without giving up Shea, and that kind of turns into your core of this Shea, Mobley, Poku, Dort uh, type of roster, and you only lose basically from that core, uh, what what makes that an overpay to use? It's because you've, you value Baisley more. Do you value the picks more? Like, like what about that core kind of jumps out to you? Yeah, I think it's just principle of going from six to four. I don't think is really, or six to three, excuse me, is that much of a jump to include all of those picks. And also it's, I, it has nothing to do with Mobley. It's just, I think Baisley 16 and six is actually a lot. And if you offer that to most teams for any other pick any other year i think most teams would take that pretty quickly like think about what it took for to get to from five to three in 2018 with luca it was um it was five in a future first that was it so i think six 16 and and basely not only does it clear up a lot of space for both poku and mobley to thrive it also is just the sweet spot i think for both teams that's interesting and then if the Cavs don't want the extra rookie this year in 16 maybe you do keep 16. So then you get three, the Thunder would have three 16 and 18 in this draft, but then they have to give up a future first. If the Cavs wouldn't want, uh, if the Cavs wouldn't want 16 for some reason in this draft, I think that they should, but if they wouldn't want 16, that's also a possibility. The Thunder do have that flexibility, Uh, but staying on Mobley real quick, because it it does seem like he's the target for the Thunder, uh, at least from like what ESPN, they were saying, what does Shea and Mobley do for the future of this team? What, what can they become as a duo? And and kind of like how long will it take in your estimation as somebody who's watched Mobley for over a year now and who has really studied him thoroughly? Uh, in your estimation, with how good Shea is right now, uh, the path that Poku's on, 
And then you have Lou Dort already kind of solidifies what he's going to be as he's improved his three-point shooting a ton last year and has and was even better from three in the corner, an area which he'll shoot more of as this roster gets flushed out. How long would it take that core to you to get kind of solidified in terms of being developed enough to go add stars to it and go make a push? Yeah, I think Mobley's going to have a pretty immediate impact. It's more for him, it's like when does he make the jump from good to great? as a player because that's really the the skill for him because i i don't see any way he really and god this is going to burn me if i if this gets played back and he busts but i just i see it a very hard way for him to fail like it's just it's not he doesn't have a major bustable trait outside of maybe the frame um but the jump shooting is something i fully develop i expect to develop and the playmaking seems like it's there in creation for himself I think that core could be in the playoffs within, you know, or playoff hunt, I should say, pretty quickly. I'd say by the next two years, I would expect like 2023, I would say like this team needs to like should be in the hunt, not necessarily above a 10 seed or nine seed if the play in tournament's still a thing, but like that's in the hunt. You know, if you're 11 or so and it's a, it should be close because it's the West, there's no projection right now that shows any other way for the future just based on the course of the West teams. I think a Mobley, Poku, Shea, anyone else you want to throw into there, that gets there pretty quick. Like you already have Shea as a very good player. Poku is going to make the jump. His is a matter of when also. It's it's for these guys, you have, th- you have two guys who it's a matter of when, not if. That for me, I, I'm going quicker rather than later on that. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. I, th- I think that it'll be a delicate balance of not trying to do it too soon, not trying to do it too late. Uh, for the immediate future for this upcoming season, if this were to happen, um, we talked – before the lottery, before we knew what the Thunder were going to pick and, and we knew that they got kind of messed over from the lottery's perspective, we talked about how if you do have lottery luck and you land a Cade or a Green or a Mobley, uh, you kind of just let this year play out and, and see how they do and you don't necessarily tank. Uh, now, of course, their pick is lottery protected, so they, they are not going to make the playoffs necessarily. Uh, but would you, going into this year, let's say that you do trade Baisley, so, you, so you're, Baisley's no longer part of the score. You do trade pick six, obviously, because you get Evan Mobley and you trade a future first. Would you at that point still let the let the team play out the way that it does because you know they're so young that they're not going to win a ton of games. They're going to keep their pick. It'll be lottery protected and they're going to be in the lottery somewhere in the lottery. Uh, or would you still gun for tanking and try to increase your odds the very, very best and try to add, a, add one more young piece of this core before you push in for a trade? That's tough. Um, honestly, I... Man, like it's hard because you look at that 2023 draft and man, it is hard to say like, hey, don't tank for that. When you have Victor Wemby, uh, I, Victor Wemby. I'm just going to go with that because I've, I've honestly forgotten how to say its na- his name. Um, I think that next year, I think the next two years, it's really go out and see what we get. And more off of next year, you kind of build from there and go, hey, like we're clearly a trade away from getting good. Or you say, all right, clearly this isn't it. We need to tank one more year. But I mean, like tanking for this long is pretty dangerous. We saw the process got accelerated because they were tanking too long. Um, Obviously some special circumstances there, but I think just, it's a tough situation. I would say just ride it out and play off of what you see. I don't think that next year, even they need to be intentionally losing games anymore, like pulling guys early and things like that. If they get Evan Mobley, if if they are, Left with just Buck Knight, where would that kind of change for you a bit of just like, okay, now we have to push for getting the highest odds possible to try to get a star next to Shea? No, honestly, because I think actually Book Knight brings a pretty special skill and being outside of that top four, because I think any one of those top four players pushes you towards that playoff uh, status, assuming that, you know, one of them doesn't bust. But I think with Book Knight, he brings a pretty special skill in being able to be very quickly in his career a high-volume scorer with at least decent efficiency, and I think that actually elevates winning teams quite a bit. So I, I actually don't think Book Knight really moves back the timeline a ton. Today's episode is also brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is an amazing auto part website you can go check out because there's no reason for you to go to auto part stores anymore because what you should be doing is going to rockauto.com and finding all the parts your car will ever need. Everything that your car needs is at rockauto.com, and you save money by going to rockauto.com. Let me tell you something right now. You make sure to go there, and what I'm telling you is the most important part is they're easy-to-navigate website, because I know nothing about cars, 
my favorite part though is I don't have to know anything about cars. What I have to know is my make, my model, my year, and they're only going to show me car parts that are comparable and that are compatible with my vehicle. That way, I'm not wasting time, effort, money on parts I cannot use and parts I do not need. So check it out today by going to rockauto.com and finding all the parts your car would ever need. Rockauto.com, amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com, tell them Lockdown sent you. And the how did you hear about a box? That's interesting. I, I like James Booknight, of course, and it seems like the Thunder like him as well as they've wined and dined him with Sam Presti and they've brought him in for workouts, of course. And uh, you were in the combine interviews as well as the uh, this week interviews with Booknight. And, and to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the vibe I got from at the combine was that he was very calculated, very uh, you know meticulous with how he's going to answer questions, very closed off, wanted to be very private and keep his cards in his hand or however you want to play that. He was cards close to the vest, however that saying goes. But he was like that at the combine. And then this week, he let it all hang out. He was giving us very great answers, very detailed explanations of everything that's happened to him in this process, including a great story about returning back to Brooklyn uh, and, and, and meeting those children. The tone was a lot different with Book Knight. It seems like he had solidified himself as going, okay, I'm going to go somewhere within the top 10, either to Orlando or to the Thunder or to the uh, Warriors. I'm going to go somewhere in this top 10. I'm going to tell them everything uh, that I've got. And it seemed like he was very much more comfortable uh, this week than he was at the Combine. Um, with Book Knight, you, you are the person who has been the biggest Book Knight fan. You've been on this bandwagon longer than any single person in the draft world. Uh, you've had him above Jalen Green this entire time, which that still puzzles me. Uh, but nonetheless, you've oh, had him at wait, five. Wait. Wait, let me interrupt. Sorry. I, I actually on Monday moved him out. I, I confessed. I said, you know, I'm watching all this stuff. Jonathan Kaminga has some knee issues that is heavily alarming to me. I said, you know what? I'm making the swap being just all the tools of Jalen Green. I now have Jalen Green fourth. I, it should be known. I, I made the switch. I, I wasn't going to be stubborn and keep him just because I pushed Jalen Green above him. Don't worry. Well, thank you for actually moving up my guy, Jalen Green, because it was almost getting uh, to disastrous levels with how you were trying to slander his good name. Uh, but uh, you do have Book Knight 5 all, pretty much the whole process. Um, and you were the first one to have him on the rise. And, and he was kind of your guy here. And it seems like all things are pointing to if the Thunder can't trade up, they're going to stay at six and take Book Knight. You mentioned it before, but but he has that pairing with Shea as a deadly pairing and how they can build something special because they're so young. Um what does that pairing do with with Shea and Book Knight specifically? How do they play off of each other? And then also, as you mentioned about the timeline, how would you project us as Book Knight's already going to be 21 uh, and, and has a ton of upside still, even though he's 21, but he is going to be more mature and able to handle the NBA life better than most 19-year-olds. How, how would you project these two pacing in terms of trying to get back to their goal of winning championships or being at least a, a playoff caliber, championship caliber team if they don't win it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, they play off each other perfectly. You know, the ISO scorer, who I do think Book Knight uses his scoring to create for others a lot in a unique way to create. He's not really going to look for – I don't know if he's necessarily pass first, but he's also not really score first, and he knows how his scoring gravity can kind of create for others. I, I posted a tweet about this, but where he goes out on the drive, the second his man – the other guy comes to help him and double him, he immediately finds the open shooter. And I, I don't remember if the guy made it or not, but he was still the second highest assist getter at UConn per game, which at only 1.8 I think says a lot about that system. I think he'll be a decent playmaker. But having that player who can take off the load of, of, of Shea really helps elevate that offense a lot. So I, I think – I just think the fit is tremendous. I actually do think that might be his very best fit. That's interesting. I think that with Book Knight, I am in love with this with this pairing. I'm in love with his with his abilities now. I'm I am all in. I'm a Book Knight believer. Uh, I'm on the Book Knight bandwagon. We are racing towards that that destination here for the Thunder if they can't trade up. One other trade up scenario that the Thunder uh, have kind of been linked to is the Raptors at four, and I struggle to find a kind of trade for this to happen because to me, number one, it, it is contingent upon the, the magic, not taking Scotty Barnes. I think that the only reason the Raptors would trade down is because they like Scotty Barnes more. And so they'd, they'd want to draft Scotty Barnes, but not at four. Same thing with the Hawks and the Mavs where the Hawks wanted Trey Young, but not at, not at three or wherever, wherever the Hawks were. So they wanted to trade down and pick up an asset. So 
to me, the trade would have to be only the Thunder giving up six and either a future pick or 16, one or the other, and getting back pick four, and they get the Thunder get Suggs and the uh, Raptors get Barnes. But the, you know, of course, the Magic can throw a wrench into that by taking Barnes himself. Would that be enough to move up to you? Would you give anything more? Would you give less than that? How would you kind of maneuver a trade up with the Raptors? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that price is very high. You could do so many things. I mean, you could do six and Baisley. You could probably do six, 16, and six and 16 might even do it. Um, maybe a future first or something instead of 16. One way or another, the, moving up to four is pretty easy. I actually don't really see – how do I wear this? Because I actually have – say it's Jalen Suggs, right? Like he's the most likely to go number four. Mm-hmm. Say that Jalen Suggs is the guy you're going for. Is there – I mean, the safeness is a different level, but like James Booknight versus Suggs, I don't know. Is that really worth trading up for and punting some assets? I don't know. I think you can use it more wisely. I, Unless Toronto is that desperate, don't do it. I would say stay pat at six and, you know, hope Booknight or, or even Kaminga, depending on where they stand on him, is the guy. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that I've been on that same kind of thought process this time uh, on the podcast. You can go back and listen uh, to later episodes earlier, or I should say earlier episodes uh, earlier this month and, and throughout this process of like, you know, at, at this point for the Thunder, I think that if you can't get to the top three and get one of Mobley, Green, or Cade, you just kind of see where it falls and just kind of sit back and and not waste the assets, so to say, because you know, I know that a lot of Thunder fans who have just kind of looked at the box scores don't really get it with James Booknight yet. And I think that they will once they actually draft him, they kind of are forced to go back and watch him play like actual you know, clips of him playing. Uh, I, I think that the difference in Suggs and Book Knight, while I would give the edge to Suggs a bit right now, uh, it's not enough to warrant giving up six plus yada, yada, yada. Maybe six plus 16, that would be that would be worth it. But if you're having to throw in six, basically a pick still, if you're having to throw that stuff in there, there's not really a reason to do it. And I think that with the Raptors, that's kind of what their asking price would be because they're comfortable being the outlier team, like they're comfortable taking a reach at four. They don't really care about perception. So if they're going to trade down, they'd rather kind of hold you over the barrel. And I don't think that the Thunder should play ball that way. Uh, and we mentioned the Cavs with the King Ransom. Uh, if you could just hand pick one of those trades, right? If, if you could just say, okay, you know what? I've I've either traded seven future first round picks for Cade, because you said that that was something that you could do for the Pistons and not go up Shea. So seven picks for for uh, Cade Cunningham. Uh, seven picks for Cade Cunningham. I pay the same price for Cade that the Nets paid for Brooklyn, or I can give Houston all their stuff back plus two first round picks to get Jalen Green, or I can give six, 16, a future pick Baisley and take on love and get Evan Mobley. Which prospect would you be, would you be first in line to do if you're the thunder and your goal is to win championships? Man, that is tough. I think if you're going for the balance of assets surrendered plus return, I would just say go for Cleveland and Cleveland. It seems like, for whatever weird reason, doesn't want to be at three. So I would say go for them. That's interesting that you, that you have kind of gotten that feel regarding Cleveland, uh, because as I've mentioned, ESPN is, is linking the, the, the Thunder heavily to Evan Mobley. Uh, and Sam Preston, we target somebody, he kind of gets his guy. Is there is there a pathway where the Thunder can trade for Evan Mobley and not do basically so like they would do six 16 a future first and maybe two future first plus take on love would that still get it done or would it would it need that sweetener of basically i mean yeah it wouldn't hurt to have an immediate impact player because if cleveland i think if cleveland's trying to trade out of the top they're probably i would think that they want at least some element of winning you know and especially if they're trying to get off of kevin love's contract that would be the big tell if they're trying to win or not because if they are like there's no way that uh that they would be trying like you don't try and lose when you have that when you're trying to get rid of his contract those two things really don't coexist so i think if you get um it, it all depends on that like and if they want to do get into win now mode they take basely so it all depends on their mindset and there's no way that this Rockets thing's a smoke screen, right like they they've they've promised Jalen green it's going to be green the draft starts at three it's going to be Cade green I mean, I, I think, yeah, Jalen Green at this point should be a lock for number two. And how do you feel about that as somebody who's not a Green believer the way that I am? 
Well, okay. <laughs> Hold on. He's still like, <laughs> I love Jalen Green. I just, I like all the other guys in front of him more. So <laughs> this is almost as bad as the, the Evan Mobley be Kevin Durant. But hey, listen, way, on, we, we are very close to the like, Thunder like, prioritizing Evan Mobley. It's been, it's been out there. <laughs> they love Evan Mobley. We're very close to that Photoshop that I have saved for over two months now of Evan Mobley in a Kevin Durant jersey with you sitting next to him. So I'm excited. Hey, that day is going to haunt me. But no, I think uh, I think Jalen Green is a lock for two. And then wherever, no matter who is picking at three, I would say Evan Mobley. There is a chance like that. Actually, it's not whoever. But I know if Cleveland is picking, it is not Jalen Zuggs. That is very, very interesting. I I cannot wait to see what happens. Final predictions for draft night. What, at the end of the day, do you think that the Thunder do? I, I don't think that they trade backwards from six. I think they're going to either stay at six or move forward with the sixth overall pick. Uh, so do you think that they just stay at six and take Book Knight? Do you think they stay there and take Kaminga? Do you think that they trade up for Mobley or Green or Suggs or Cade? What, what, is, what is your gut feeling right now about the Thunder as somebody who's done all the draft prep work possible right as we sit today, just a little tiny, tiny smudge over 24 hours away from draft night. What are you feeling? So I'm going to say almost none of the above. They stay at six. I think that, but I'm going to just do a quick prediction on the picks. I think they package 16, 18, and one of 34 or 36 to move up probably towards 10 into the lottery, one way or another into the lottery. And then they sell off 55. That's my draft night prediction for Oklahoma city. Interesting. So, but at six, you think they're going to take book night still because of all the, the links to them? Right. My bad. Yes. I, I think it's either book night or Scotty Barnes. If I think it really just depends on what Orlando does. If Scotty Barnes goes to Orlando, it's far and away book night and vice versa. I'm telling you, I am rooting so hard for the magic to take Scotty Barnes because I need you. I need you to talk me into Scotty Barnes because Goodness gracious, like Thunder fans did a full 180 on him after lottery night, thinking that he'd be the only option at six. But <laughs> here's a guy that can't shoot. I'm not sure that he'll ever progress to be a shooter. The numbers don't indicate that he will, but of course, that's not exactly an exact science. Uh, and, and here's a guy that on the offensive end, the only way he can impact the ball is by handling the ball and distributing the ball and being a playmaker with the ball in his hands. But yet we have a franchise superstar in SGA who wants to be a point guard, has publicly said he wants to be a point guard, and you do not want to disrupt what he wants and you want him to be the point guard for you. It just doesn't seem like that great of a fit. Yeah. So I guess my sales pitch would be if you look at Oklahoma city's just production, because I don't think this actually matches the eye test yet. Their team defense isn't that bad. And Scotty Barnes really turns that into a pretty high level defense uh, rather soon. I think because the, they were one of the, they're actually pretty average defending the pick and roll, which I think is probably the most important defensive play to defend. You, you know, jump shots will go in whether or not you're being contested. I think that's almost luck at some point, but Scotty Barnes really glues that defense together, can make them a really strong defense. They already have some good defensive pieces could really be the anchor to a good defense. Not necessarily a great defense, depends on what the front court more is built like, but he could really help be a good defense, establish a defensive identity. And then also they're not very good at the pick and roll offensively, and his passing is amazing. And it would really open up a lot, really on just both pick and roll ends. Um, I think that he is one of the smartest basketball players in the in the draft. I had him as high as three, but he needs the right fit. And that is a major flag when a guy needs the right fit to succeed. Like that's, that's so rare that guys end up in the perfect spot. So I, I do have concerns. I don't think his jump shot is necessarily a fatal flaw. It is a big limiter, but his basketball IQ is passing his defense. His slashing is unreal. Just one last thing on Scotty Barnes. I posted a video of it, but he was at the logo when he caught the ball, two dribbles and he was at the rim. It's, it was very Giannis-esque, his strides, the length that he takes in every single dribble. He forces his way to the rim, and that's almost why packing the paint doesn't quite work against him, and he has pretty good touch. And as he gets stronger, I think it'll only help him. So he's not a Giannis player. Don't, don't even think about it, uh, Rylan. Just not, I know you're already getting all the Photoshops ready, but no, he, uh, he, is, he has that – he's one of the very few players in the league who has the long strides that can get to the rim at ease. And I think that's actually going to be his offensive calling card outside of passing. Interesting stuff there for Scotty Barnes. I just, yeah, I, I mean, if I was Sam Presti and I'm, I'm not as smart as him, so whatever he decides is better than what I decide. But if I was Sam Presti, I'd still take James Booknight, even if 
Scotty Barnes was on the board. Would you do the same or would you take Barnes? I take uh, Book Knight. Interesting there. I love whenever you agree with me. It makes me feel smart. So, uh, you know, one last final thing about the Thunder roster before we get into our mock draft. Shea. The, the Thunder and Sam Presti said at the pre-lottery press conference that they're excited to have the conversation about maxing him out and, and signing him to the extension this, this offseason. They've said everything right publicly about wanting him a part of their future long-term. Um, what's the price to you to give up Shea? Because to me, he's as close to an untouchable as you can get. Because whenever you're talking about Shea and you say he's an untouchable, it does not mean that they wouldn't trade Shea. Like everyone except for Luca has a price. You can trade for anyone except for the top 1% of the 1%. But to me, the price to trade Shea is so astronomically high that it's hard to find somebody who's willing to give you that price. Where by proxy of that, He's untouchable, uh, but, but how do you evaluate Shea? I know that you had a spicy take about Shea not by being overrated, but how do you, how do you evaluate Shea in terms of if we see X trade this off season, including Shea, it would be worth it. Like what's that worth it mark for you? Hey, I appreciate the nice setup for me not to get the pitchforks pulled on me. So I really appreciate that, that <laughs> generous setup. No, he, uh, all I, my point was, is that the way like that people talked about him, I, I felt like, We've started, I've said this about Christoph Sporzingis. Every time you say his name, his value diminishes. The opposite for Shea. Every time you say his name, his value just increases. And it's like, at some point it's like, okay, he is a very good player. He is a top 50 player without question. But people are starting to put him, it feels like every single day that he's mentioned it, that placement rises. And suddenly now like, <laughs> I, I just, I think he's got, you know, hurdles to get overcome uh, or obstacles to overcome, excuse me. And like, he needs to, I don't know. It, it's not, it's not necessarily anything he's done yet. Like I still worry about the three point shooting being legit um, and all of that. But I think it's more just like, will his game translate to the playoffs cleanly and things like that before we can start crowning him this way. But that being said, it goes both ways. One SGA is like a guy who he hasn't, I hate this label because it's so unfair to players, but when you're an organization, this is how you have to look at it. He hasn't won yet. You can't really attach yourself to players that your timeline is tanking. You know, when it's, if you could get, for example, like we talked about, if you get Cade, you probably still do it because if you're not moving your timeline, really, like if you think about it, maybe one year is all it changes in a grand, in the grand scheme of things, having this, the player, like that is the ultimate floor general and can score, can pass, can rebound those kind of guys. It's like, it really doesn't change the timeline. Now you don't ever, he was not a guy you wanted to go, Hey, let's take some role players for like, he's still a building block for a team. Absolutely. But my whole point was just like, I don't know. I think he, uh, he, it's the way people talk about him has become a little bit much for my liking. But that being said though, again, if you're a team, if you're Oklahoma city and your timeline is revolving around a certain number, you probably don't trade him unless you are getting a, like an unhappy superstar because Oklahoma city again is the only team that can trade for a superstar. You're probably not moving the timeline much by getting Beal. Even I don't think the difference between those two is that crazy, but if you're, you know, it, it's like if Giannis asked out or something, of course you throw an SGA, but he's not going to ask out like any top 10 player. Of course you throw in the SGA, but again, the, the likelihood is just so low. That's very fun to see and to hear about now. We have another report from our guy, Evan, of Locked on Cavs that uh, the Thunder could be a trade destination for Colin Sexton, that the Thunder like the pairing of Sexton with Shea and have the draft picks to make the deal happen. Um, how do you feel about that with, with Sexton and Shea? Because I'll tell you right now, the Thunder fan base is not in love with it, uh, but I like it more than most. I just want to hear an unbiased opinion of somebody who's watched Shea and has watched Sexton as two individual players and then can project without bias how they pair together. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on what you give up, but I'm kind of ignoring that just for this with Sexton. I mean, he's kind of going to provide that same level impact as James book Knight, possibly. I think that's a very realistic um, statement that you probably accelerate what James book Knight's timeline would be. And I think they fit together because of that, like I said, Colin Sexton knows how to pass out of his scoring attempts and that's how he can play off ball as a scorer with, or I'm sorry, giving and taking with um, SGA and he can play off ball. He's a very good spot up shooter. I think defensively it might leave some, you know, 
areas for improvement, but he's also not, he gives effort. And I don't think his defense is as bad as it looks like in Cleveland because Cleveland, every single year they've had not LeBron James on their roster over the last 21 years, they've been like historically bad on defense. So I'm actually still reserving some judgment on Colin Sexton. He was a good defender at, at Alabama. I don't think the NBA just like completely overmatched him despite his size. He puts in effort. I actually like the fit. Now, What's the price for you, though? Because it, it says that the Thunder have the draft picks to do so. They did not mention that they'd give up, of course, any players. Of course, not Shea, because the idea is that they like the pairing of Shea and Sexton. So um, for you, what's the price for each side? So for the Cavs, what do they need to say yes? And for the Thunder, what do they need to say yes? Because when you're looking at this trade, would Sexton be worth six? At that point, would you rather have Book Knight? Because you have to remember... You're trading for Sexton. You have to sign him this this season too. So now you're signing both Shea and Sexton to new contracts. So would it be worth giving up six, a player who which you'd be drafting and who you would reset their timeline? You'd reset their timeline of being paid. They're not going to be paid for four or five years now at that point. Or would you trade future picks? Like what, what kind of is the framework just roughly in your head? This literally broke while we're recording. So if this is kind of flawed, don't blame Richard. This is going to be thrown on him completely. So what's kind of the rough framework in your head for each side kind of saying yes to it? Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't think six is involved in all, at all, because like you said, you're dumping us. It's almost like a salary dump, but not like a true salary dump. It's literally like, Hey, will you take this money? And it's uh, like that we have to pay. And because yeah, you have to pay Colin Sexton probably almost 20 million, give or take. And that isn't going to give, you're not going to get the six pick. I think you could do 16, 18 future pick or 16, 18 Baisley, because I do think, and I know that sounds like a lot, but Colin Sexton's a really good player. And I think that could actually elevate that timeline a lot. I think Baisley would hundred percent go. He would be the player involved. You could argue now maybe if you don't want to give up all the picks, but um, 16, 18, and I'd say either or maybe both, but that seems like a lot. I, I, both seems like a lot. I would say 16, 18 and Baisley or 16 and Baisley, 18 and Baisley, something like that might do it. I like that a lot. I like six, 16, 18 and Baisley seems fair to me because at that point you get Shea, you get Sexton, and you can either take Kaminga, who can kind of feel that Baisley role, or just Go just double down, triple down, take book night, have a fun offense for once. You had a historically bad offense last year. Just go all in on the offense and say, screw it. Cause book night grades out on synergy as a good defender. Mark has done a phenomenal job of progressing players defensively. If he can get even a little bit better than a good defender that elevates book night to a good two way player. And you could have a fun team. If you just still take book night at six and take Sexton uh, right there. Now, my question here is, would it be, more beneficial to the Cavs to, and you can address the, the book night thing as well if you want to, but what would be beneficial to the Cavs to do two separate trades? Let's say the Thunder still want Evan Mobley. They still want pick six. Two separate trades of like, okay, here's the first one where you get Sexton. Now let's work on the second one where you get Mobley at pick three or combined everything. So the trade includes Sexton and includes Love's and Love and includes Mobley and the Thunder have to kind of work around that. Yeah, I actually think, you brought up a good point. I forgot about Kevin Love again, it, just 10 minutes later, but I think you could combine it all and make it a three team trade. And if Kevin loves in it, you don't include both 16 and 18. I think you move 18 to wherever. Um, like I, I just, I don't know. I, I think if Kevin Love, that changes all of it, depending on if 18 or 16, whichever one gets involved. But I do like the idea of all of that, but that, that trade actually seems like a dream for more for Oklahoma city than Cleveland, but cause I, I also think Cleveland should keep Sexton. So that's my stance on it. So would you, would you do this for the thunder? Just agreeing that they're not going to go up six. Yep. You do it with like anything but six of like you said, 16, 18 Baisley, w- would that be considered an a plus for you with the thunder an a for the thunder, a B for the thunder? Like what's the passing grade? So we know that they're going to be passing. What's the passing grade on this potential deal? I mean, it's anywhere from a B plus to an A, depending on, it all depends on what Baisley looks like next year. That's going to be what determines that. I think you can afford to move on from Bas. Uh, sorry, building block Baisley, excuse my language. And uh, I, I think that could be, you know, that's the swing is how, the swing factor is how good he ends up being. And then um, before we get to this mock draft, I, I appreciate all of your time. We just had so much to talk about here. Before we get to this mock draft, 
would it be silly to take book night still? Like even if you had Shay and Sexton, like would it, am I crazy for like thinking that that's a good idea? Like what do you feel about uh, the, the the pick at six now? Let's say that they can't get Mobley and the Cavs want to stay at three. Because at that point, why would the Cavs trade Mobley and Sexton You know, and kind of just reset everything that they've been trying to build here in Cleveland? So let's assume that they can't get three at Mobley. So would it be crazy to take book night still? Or would you go with the kind of off the beaten path of Kaminga? Like where would you go now at six? Does that change anything for you in the evaluation process? I, I find it hard to see Colin Sexton and James book night coexisting, especially if you're trying to keep both long-term, that is a weird fit. Now, however, you could try and make, you know, I mean, the Thunder had James Harden as six man for a while. So you could have, and don't even think about making that a comparison to James Book Knight. Um, but you could put James Book Knight in the same role as that bona fide six man. And maybe it works, but I think you would rather swing at something that doesn't overlap, right? Like on taking two of the same player. Um, I would say try and get Kuminga or, I mean, if you really want to reach and take a player who fits everything, Moses Moody, someone like that. Well, so when this when this trade goes down, how would you factor in Kaminga? Because it seems like it seems like Kaminga would kind of be the logical fit, assuming that the Magic take Barnes. It seems like Kaminga would be the logical fit at six if they can't make it a blockbuster trade and go get Mobley too. Um, with Kaminga, how far away is that timeline to you? Like in your best estimation, I know that I know that progression is not linear and that it's just a, not an exact science and it's impossible to predict everything. Uh, but to you, how, how many years would you say that you need to give Mobley? I mean, not Mobley, Kaminga. And we've, we've played this game with, po- with, with Poku too, and Poku uh, needed one G League bubble season to become a competent NBA player. So, like, how long, in just your best estimation, would it take for Kaminga? I think you give him two years before you want to see him becoming a positive player because he has that extra jump being in the G League. He should have some more experience than a normal rookie. I would say within by by his third season, he should start being a positive player. That's the expectation. If he's not, sound the alarms. So you would then sign Sexton and Shea this year. That gives a five-year extension to um, Shea. I'm not sure what the extension looks like for the for Sexton because of the CBA and the, and him getting traded and not being on the same team. So I'm not sure what that changes for Shea for uh, Sexton's uh, CBA extension. But let's just assume that they get five extension five-year extension for each of them, Shea and Sexton. They got five more years after this one. We we're going to be probably uh, still struggling a little bit to, to win games this year. Uh, in year three of that extension, you would expect Poku Kaminga to be hitting on all cylinders and they'd be paired with Shea and Sexton. Who I think that Sexton, who did progress this year in Cleveland, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but from where I sit and from watching Sexton film, he's progressed this year in Cleveland. You put him now in a much better developmental staff with much better developmental coaches and a much better organization uh, that has no drama, that has no uh, outside noise. And it's comfortable to assume it will make, he'll make at least one more progression with the Thunder. How good can that team be? Is this, would this be a core that you could, that you could foresee eventually being a championship level core? Yeah. I mean, it has the upside to be that championship level core, especially because Oklahoma City is now one of the best development programs in the NBA. It's like what them Toronto. I mean, yeah, it's them in Toronto. Now that I think about it, like, there's a very realistic chance. Obviously guys will miss, but I I think that the upside with this roster, when you combine it with the assets hundred percent and when you throw in Colin Sexton or someone like that, the the chances only get better. And to me, there's no real concern. If the Thunder love the pairing of Shea and Sexton, they project that to be their pairing that they want. I don't see them being concerned about paying the two players. They're not even at the salary cap floor yet. And what's the difference in, in giving you know, Sexton a, mat, a max and, and giving Sexton what he wants versus maxing out John Collins that, that Thunder fans want to do. And I'm not saying that in terms of compare the two players. I'm saying that in terms of money, like money-wise. Do you, the Thunder fans want the Thunder to use their salary cap and max out these other players. If this is the player they believe in, what's the difference in terms of spending their money? They're going to spend the money. They're going to do what they need to keep the player that they believe in if they trade an asset to get Sexton. You're not trading an asset to get Sexton and then not signing him. That would be asinine. So, to me, I'm not worried so much about financially because the Thunder have put themselves in such a flexible position with their cap sheet, with their with their uh, you know with their books. So maxing out him and, and Shea would be fine to me, especially again, no matter who you draft this year, their pay clock does not start for another four years. And at that time, you're at least what three years into that. I can't do quick math. At least three years into that, 
uh, extension that you just gave Sexton and Shea. I think that the pairing is better than most people do. I think that people kind of freak out when they see uh, different things from Sexton in terms of uh, him kind of being maybe a ball hog or something, but he played very well off of Darius Garland. The way that I see it this year, he played well off Darius Garland as Garland being a ball handler and a primary ball handler at times. And now I've upgraded Garland to Shea. And that to me expects to have a leap of some, of some sorts for uh, Sexton. Yeah. I mean, I think the Sexton ball hog label, first of all, is, is ridiculously unfair because who's he going to pass to on that team? Like I hate, there's a lot of times that's a cop out, but like for him, it genuinely is like you watch him at Alabama, of course, in like high school, he averaged one assist a game, but like, he's not pass first by any means, but he also isn't going to just score and only score. And even if he is that he still was incredibly efficient. Like he averaged, he shot 40% from three this year, shot 48, 47% from the field on 24, 24 points per game. And this year he had four and a half assists per game. Like it's a very realistic thing to say. He is not a ball hog and he actually does help the offense get better. So I would say if you want to get comforted by that and say that it does, um, you know, that, that may be a negative for Oklahoma city to get him that I, there's a lot of signs statistically. And again, dating back to Alabama, his game hasn't translated, hasn't not translated mirrored what it looked like at Alabama, where I thought he was a top six prospect. That's an exciting duo. I'm not sure that it happens, uh, but Evan has been doing phenomenal work regarding Sexton and you know this saga that's happened this offseason. And a lot has, has changed uh, regarding that situation recently. So this is a late pod drop Thursday, Friday, uh, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. We're going to get our full draft of rounds one and two. Uh, on Thursday's podcast. Make sure you tune in for that as well. This is a fun conversation about all of the relevant draft prospects at the top for the Thunder. And then, of course, in our mock draft, we'll get to all of the prospects in the middle, in the second round, and things like that. Make sure you go follow Richard on Twitter at Mavs Draft, me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.